I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. I mean, did I mean? Should they make a new Mighty Ducks? Should there be a Mighty Ducks reboot? Do you imagine? Or is, is America ready? Do we need an, a, a Mighty Ducks reboot? Two Mighty Two Ducks. <laughs> Don't ask yourself if you're ready. Just ask how far you're going to bend down because they will. They will give it to you whether you're ready or not. Is this one of the this ones where I could, we could convince Mike Gillis to go to see Mighty Ducks if and only if they put? Dwayne the Rock Johnson as the as the Emilio Estevez character. <laughs> I could see it. I think he'd be rather charming. He uh, the Rock makes everything better. I found. Did he make yeah. Baywatch better though? I came really close to seeing that in theaters. Yeah. I still may. I don't know. The magic of Dwayne Johnson uh, got me on the edge there. Plus, I have a bunch of free passes that I got for my birthday from my sister and her boyfriend. Nice. Cool. So I don't even actually have to pay for it. So. I thought that makes about it sting it. less when you have to see a piece of steaming pile of shit. And it's like I went in knowing that I kind of wanted to be fun dumb, but it doesn't sound like it's fun dumb. Kaylee saw it. Um, Kaylee and her her guy Scott they really liked it. It was actually paired with Wonder Woman because um, I go to the Shelton Drive-in. Um, Double features are beautiful. Yeah, it's eight freaking dollars. It's wow. awesome. Eight bucks, and then they do their Labor Day ones. You get three movies for eight bucks. It's awesome. And I, I grew up going to a lot of drive-ins. So, like, went to Wonder Woman, saw that Baywatch was after, and I was like, well, hell, this is going to be dumb as a sack of rocks. I mean, but at the <laughs> same time, it's basically $4. What am I going to lose? Um, but the only kicker is we live in Washington, which means mm. that if you go to a drive-in, it has to be dark to yeah. show the movie. Oh, yeah. So, My yeah, God. Wonder Woman didn't start till like, 10-something, and then I had work at eight the next day we're, we're basically so. living in the arctic circle up here yeah, yeah. At, 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 you know like august it's like you wake up at 3 a.m and you're like oh i can see the sun going up and coming down at the same time and all the movies mm-hmm. are going to come out during the summer anyways yeah. yeah so you're gonna have to wait the longest before you can watch it so the baywatch movie would it have been better if they would got the rock and maybe it's not too late if they made enough money for a sequel to do make the sequel Baywatch Nights. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. They should have scrapped the first one and just gone for Baywatch Nights. Because I want to see The Rock fight a sea monster. <laughs> I want to see The Rock do just about anything, honestly. Like, it's just, I, oh, there's a picture of him dancing with his grandma. And whenever people bring him up, I'm always thinking of this picture. It's super cute. I, I think the dance is called a haka. I admit yep. to not having a lot of knowledge about the that. Maori sort of traditional like male dance where they stomp and I think he's Samoan, they... right? But he does the haka in the uh, uh, in the fa- the fast fate of the furious. Yes, he does. He he has his his eighth graders uh, his or, no sorry what am I trying to say here? It's fate fate of the furious. He has his little soccer team do a haka. Yeah, which there might be a Samoan haka. I don't know. I'm totally culturally illiterate, so. They specifically do it for mothers and grandmothers, this particular dance that he was Aww. doing. And it's this great picture. You can you can find it online. It's just adorable. It's just, of course, he's he's a mountain sort of thing. And he's just smiling like you wouldn't believe, like a million watt smile, just dancing for his like, grandma. And it's so cute. Yeah, and he, I'm like... It seems like he's kind of taken over social media. That Social media has a, a wonderful way of... You know, scraping things away that it gives you enough access to everyone at just random moments of your life mm-hmm. that you can find out that somebody is wonderful or terrible. Yeah. And it seems like social media has done no better for any human being other than The Rock and in terms of nothing but positive that you find out that he rescued a dog from a swimming pool. Yeah. Or that... I mean, I can think of one other human being that it's done better for, but we'll not talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like there's, like there's a video that he put up where um, his daughter was crying unless he would do a dance in a Pikachu costume. <laughs> and she would cry like with that if, she, if he disappeared so he wouldn't take off the mask in front of her and he'd have to go around a corner and he took off the helmet for the camera and he's just sweating like crazy in this thing (laughs) and he's just like okay back to it and he puts the helmet on goes back around the corner and is dancing in the pikachu costume and wonderful either that or his halloween costume where he's dressed like popeye which is wonderful completely fine 
I I kind of love this guy. He's he seems like just a wonderful person, and I want his movies to always do well. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? You know what? You're probably never going to happen with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's probably not going to be caught on camera fucking a, a shock jock DJ's wife, burping and talking about eating too much pork and throwing racial epithets around, getting him basically tossed out of the World Wrestling Entertainment Hall of Fame. It's well, not going to happen like- with him. Not going to fucking for, happen. For what human being could you say that that whole thing was one scandal? Ah, <laughs> oh, God. A lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> but, Too many uh, feelings. Jesus Christ. Oh, Hulkster, what happened, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, anyways, I know, you mentioned that you'd seen Wonder Woman, and it seems like everyone is fucking thrilled with this movie. Um, that... DC seems to have broken this long track record of just joyless gray screaming in the rain. And it's if I might not be wrong about this, but it sounds like this is the first universally praised movie that DC has put out since The Dark Knight in like 2008. I think that's definitely true as as far as, as if reviews are anything to go by. If you're cruising around in the 90s and you're a DC movie... I'm shocked at this point. <laughs> so that's uh, you know that that is good on them that, that uh, people that people feel that way. Um, I I have some complications with their theory, however. So which Go, is well, let's, let's, wild. let's unpack this. Yeah, it's so. I I think I I have to come at this from the angle of expectation, right? The most powerfully dangerous and powerfully useful resource i i think that comic book movies have of course is the fans um that that's essentially you you have those died in the wool fanboy types that are either going to just rage if something is even slightly different or you have the sort of people that have been waiting so so long that they're that they're happy they're they're happy to have something come out or if you if you see that famous weapon or that famous attack or that famous suit or that nod to that particularly good run of something, that's enough to get people's blood up. And the way we've been marketing a lot of these superhero movies for such a long time now is this um, this human centipede of cinematic nonsense, Ugh. where basically it's just you you make one movie for people to wait to the end of the credits to plug the next one. And that's going to tie into the big one, which is going to tie into the other eight, which may or may not have characters that you actually need to know about. And sometimes you don't need to know about them, and it's super awesome, like uh, Ant-Man. Sometimes I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. The, the complication for me comes in the fact that DC has comfortably sat on the fact that they have two of the most iconic characters, or I'll amend that statement. The two most iconic characters in all of comics. I don't think anyone would debate that. No. I think Spider-Man is a, a big deal, obviously, um, as far as Marvel goes. But I think, again, if you talk to somebody halfway around the world and you show them just the symbol of that S or just the bat, odds are pretty darn good they're going to know who that is. And I think that's what they've been banking on so long, how they could get away with attempting to make something like, you know, Dawn of Justice. And I think in some ways, Dawn of Justice was sort of a wake up call in in some senses to audiences that um, notoriety enough should not be what makes you go see a movie. We've been this way for years. You, you guys are joking about uh, Mighty Ducks. When are they going to remake Mighty Ducks? Things like that. That's where we are. That is squarely where we are, is that in cinema, we retell the same story over and over and over. In this last decade, that, that is your model. That's your model for making money. You, you can still make good movies during that time. That's great. But if they want the cash cow, they want the familiar. Wonder Woman is in a really unusual position because the character is definitely iconic in the American consciousness, not say to the exact same degree as Batman and Superman, but she also holds the same sense of being representative of a greater ideal. Um, You know, of course, Batman, Batman being about justice and intelligence and being the type of hand we wish we had against the world. Superman being that 
glowing beacon of righteousness sort of thing, this this hope for something better, really a, a messianic character sort of thing that I'm sure in thousands of years of aliens come here, they'll pick up our comics and they'll wonder if he was in fact a god. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is different in the sense that who she is meaningful to is a group, a group that we've collectively decided is disenfranchised in our culture. Wonder Woman is important to women. That being said, our culture is currently at a point where I think a lot of women, some of those women are women like myself, want the cultural touchstones that we feel that we'd been denied through time. I don't know that Wonder Woman as a movie fits that bill. I do know that women are desperate to have it fit that bill. I do know that for the dearth of meaningful and good and powerful female characters in film, you can't keep pointing to Buffy. You can't keep pointing to the exact same five characters over the course of three decades, four decades, and expect that to be sufficient at this point in our social climate. I think that the anticipation for Wonder Woman has kind of given me a feeling of Emperor's New Clothes about this movie. That we're kind of afraid to be honest about flaws in this movie because it's an image. It's an agenda rather than just the cash cow. And that's where I think it gets complicated. That it's perhaps a little bit too smart to be your blockbuster cash cow, but a little too joyless to be a popcorn movie. Hmm. That's where I am, at least. But hmm. I can go a lot further. I'm going to let someone else talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I can see you there. I think that I think this is the bigotry of low expectations on multiple levels, not just the bigotry of low expectations about their. And I am in no sense qualified whatsoever to be talking authoritatively at all about representation of females in in, in cinema. Because from the beginning and even now, cinema is is entirely. I'll use the film school uh, film school terminology of male gaze. There's there's just an assumption that there is a that there is a uh, that there is a male watching it and a male eye and a male sort of libido to be satiated by doing this. But as far as representation and how it makes it makes people feel, it makes women feel, little girls feel. Um, I was not the first person to say this, but I mean, it's empowerment sucks when empowerment comes because uh, you can you could the 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 woman on screen can murder people well. Like yeah. I always think that that's incredibly problematic. I think the thing that, that for me that was the most problematic about this, I think they showed restraint in having it not be a World War II movie, um, which is it, it makes it interesting. That made it a lot more interesting than any sort of period piece superhero movies that we've had before. Um, I also, I, I, I think, I think the idea of doing a movie about war, especially in the sort of a post. In in a post nine eleven post Iraq and Afghanistan war America and these films are American films they're coming out coming out of America I think it's very prob I, I can't I can't even express it it's very problematic to be doing a movie about a war especially a war that wasn't necessarily a just war I think most historians would say this was a mess of a war and they acknowledge that in this movie I don't know how I am supposed to feel about characters that are good at waging war in a in a conflict between nations. I just think war is the simplest way that you can, one of a simple set pieces that you can tell, dramatize the story. Um, and my conception of what, uh, a righteous and good character should be, shouldn't necessarily be one that, um, her, her caring about people should be exploited so that she can meet more war out. You know what I'm saying? That so that she can exemplify, well, the best, the best thing that this situation could have is just a warrior that's just that just a, a war fighter that's just that much more awesome and i think it's i think help me out here mike i mean i think i think you're never going to be able to untangle this because superhero characters are usually about punching things and so mm-hmm. we're just going to have that problem yeah it's it doesn't matter i mean a big part of wonder woman's thing is that she comes from a place that has sort of a higher ideal it's kind of in a lot of ways kind of like the the federation in star trek the idea yeah. that we're not mindless killers and that we aspire to this greater ideal and the thing is that because she is a superhero, inevitably she's going to solve most of these problems by punching them. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be a, a thing with there. Um, 
at the same time, the things that I did really like about this movie, um, I would say I liked this movie quite a bit, but I didn't love it. Um, I think it felt a lot more like a Marvel movie than than yeah. a DC movie. DC has sort of built up this angry, joyless, um, almost repudiation. It's like our friend uh, Greg Hatcher refers to it as people who are continuing to fight the Adam West battle mm-hmm. on the playground. That you like this thing that's so silly, so you overcompensate by making it angry and serious and taking all the whimsy out of it to prove that you're not lame for liking a thing that's aimed at babies. <laughs> ashamed at what you love, ashamed of your source material. Exactly. That Superman is always going to be a guy in a blue and red costume that has a capital letter on his chest mm-hmm. who punches asteroids and saves you from robots and fights Lex Luthor. Um, I think this movie's a lot less afraid of that stuff than any of the DC movies before. One, there's color in it. Mm-hmm. That uh, how is it that a movie that takes place during World War One's Western Front still has more color than Man of Steel? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I, I mean, I loved the I, like. I think I told you, Mike, when we talked about it on the phone. Uh, I loved the fact that Wonder Woman plays. There's a not a big part, but a part of this movie where she plays part of a fish out of water comedy, and that's great. That is absolutely fantastic to see in one of these in one of the DC movies where you get some l- real levity in a movie that's earned. Yeah, but it doesn't mm-hmm. ever play her as a buffoon. No, I don't think not at all. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I mean uh, not straight up buffoonery, but um, I I feel like this movie tried too much to have its cake and eat it too on so so many fronts. Like, as you previously illustrated, this whole, like, pacifism, higher ideal, pacifism, pacifism kind of thing. And, like, no, yes, men explain war to me. Where it's, you know, again, you're you're teaching these, you know, women on an island defense and, like, you know, power through being able to protect yourself while at the same time her mother's saying, oh, that day may never come. She should never have to learn to do this thing. And if our higher ideal is peace... hmm. It is a contradiction at the heart of the character. There are just so many. That she's a comes from an island of warrior women who hate war. Yeah. And it's really kind of hard. And I think a lot of it is that it's messing those kind of complications out. She's an ambassador from a more enlightened people that comes to the world. Yeah. Um, Yet she's just better at killing in some way. So I get that part. She just Um, didn't feel like an ambassador to me, though. That was the, the problem is that. The fish out of water element got so heavy for me at one point that the purpose of the character felt like it was lost other than for the specific purpose of 300 slow motion action sequences that are antithetical to what her goal ultimately is, which is to fight war by fighting yeah. in a war. And yeah. there's not a whole lot of those dramatic, meaningful, let's look for a different solution. You know, I'm going to make you guys stop and we're going to do something different. It was, I, I felt like some of it was, we we have this symbol that makes a lot of women feel powerful. And so we're going to just try to make them do the things that guys do. But again, like the action heroes do. But we also want to have our cake here and say that it's all about pacifism and higher ideals and no information whatsoever as to whether or not what you're pursuing is correct mm-hmm. which was interesting oh, i just know aries is causing this yep you got to take me to him yep we got to do it oh hey we have to sell a barbie so you have to change into a different costume that's you know but it's it doesn't reveal too much skin so we don't get too many women angry that a woman can be you know that is the weirdest sexual thing that I've kind also of gotten. Powerful. I, I've gotten that out of it is um, people who are not fundamentalists angry about women showing skin. Mm-hmm. And I think really what it ultimately, for me at least, and this is a dude saying this, it, it's more how than what that dictates this stuff. That it is, it isn't a, the problem is not that somebody shows a lot of skin; it's how that person is portrayed yeah. and how that person are they posed. Like, this is a person expressing personality and character choices? Or are they gyrating for an unseen audience? They're, it's basically acting out of character. Why are they doing the things that they do? Is, are, is it their, again, that male gaze sort of thing? The so, Michael Bay problem with how they use, like, Megan Fox. Right. And, or, for example, yeah. the Alice Eves character in Into Darkness. Yeah. Where there's, for no reason, she is in her underwear. Like, yeah. And that 
that could have been a, that scene could have been the exact same scene without her being in her underwear, but it's just there for that for that for prurient interest. There's no reason yeah. for it to be there. Where Wonder Woman, I kind of put her in the same category as like Hercules, or you know, where Hercules has, shows a lot of skin, or Namor shows a lot yeah, of skin. Yeah, is it part of this person's character? And the fact that she dresses like a Greek warrior, I I, I like I like the costume question. Yeah. I really do for that exact reason. I'm really glad that you said something about that because this costume has been such a huge point of contention since just early, early production. And there have been so many changes and ideas about how to present it mm-hmm. for a, a significant period of time. Um, point being, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a costumer. And so I actually had a coworker ask me, you know, how how do I go about assembling a costume for this thing? What do you do when you when you go to make a costume? And I say, well, first off, you start with your references. And so I'm starting to look through the different um, the different character designs, costume iterations, and stuff for her. And I know that in 2017, it was a huge deal to to set this apart, but not set it apart to the degree of the Wonder Woman in pants yeah. situation. Mm. The <laughs> pants gate. Everything's a gate these days. Yeah. <laughs> pants gate. You know, fallout of, oh my God, she's wearing pants. It's not iconic enough. Also, you know, where's all the thighs or whatever. Um, you know, these these two camps that, again, you're arguing, you've, you've got these, uh, some people are mad because it's not feminist enough. Some people are mad because it's not sexy enough. But Nobody's really getting much of anything they want. They're getting mashed potatoes. But the weird thing is, should feminist enough even be an issue when somebody's wearing clothes? Shouldn't the character decide what they're wearing? Exactly. Wouldn't that be the feminist answer? And again, there's this dude saying this, but it seems like it seems like a weird kind of reverse slut shaming that I see sometimes. That yeah, how dare you know? It's for me. It has to do with the character. Like for instance, Emma Frost from the X Men. Mm-hmm. She's somebody who uses her sexuality as part of her her whole mystique. That she dresses that way intentionally, and she plays it up because mm-hmm. she knows it makes people uncomfortable and gives her an advantage. Where it you know it makes sense that she would wear a skimpy outfit, but Kitty Pride is a character that it would be inappropriate for her to dress like that. Yeah, because it's just not her character's personality. That Namor again, if you want to have the the gender swap version, Namor never doesn't show his nipples. <laughs> well, <laughs> I always kind of thought he was a slut anyway. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, Namor, yeah. I'm sure he is. It's like yeah, yeah. Namor, you're just yeah. asking for it. Yeah, but uh, Namor is always a guy who clearly likes doing sit ups and likes to let people know that he does a lot of sit ups. Even the costumes where he wears more clothes always have like a deep V neck down to the navel. Yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, it makes sense that he would be like that. I mean, he's a '70s gold chain hero. He is. Yeah, he really is. It's kind of like pop disco collar of a superhero. He's got. He's got to show it off, mm-hmm. and he's kind of peacocking it a lot of the time. So it makes sense that Namor or Hercules again, who is just wearing a skirt and a sash, mm-hmm. would show skin. But to sort of automatically say that any. Any woman who dresses in a way that shows skin is automatically only for a man's choices if a woman can't choose to dress that way. It doesn't give a man any rights over that, but the fact that you should have to dress that way, so it, it doesn't make any sense, the idea of, of prescribing this is a way you have to be. Yeah. It seems the opposite of feminism, but... I, I feel like her her costume was util- or utilitarian and good enough to satisfy both in in that sense. So I don't really have too many costume related complaints as far as her her main one and everything, um, because it all made logical sense to me. The problem I had is more along the lines of what things they choose to pay attention to being really faithful and really dedicated to doing in a movie like this, at the expense of other things, like say this this whole again superhero movie to set up a big superhero movie this whole drawn out sort of clone of every other superhero movie that we keep seeing when you've waited since you were seven or eight years old to see something that excites you that's meaningful to you to to see to see the character that you were as a default every time you played outside with the neighbor boys because god forbid you get to be batman right when you know that you're this is your option it 
becomes more important to some people. The disappointment, the expectations all get a little more swirly. It's not like going into the theater and going, gee, you know what? Iron Man 3 didn't really do it for me. Well, that's a bummer. It It's more like you know that there is so much writing on this sort of, on the success of this movie, on critical reception and all of that, that it's kind of an odd, bittersweet thing for me that although the movie has this amazing critical reception, I'm finding myself sitting back and going, is that reception legitimate? Or is that what we need to do to make another movie? Mm. Where that young part of me wanted to feel excited about watching those action sequences, wanted to feel excited about her leading a charge. But in reality, when I look at it, I go, well, she actually does need her hand hold, or held throughout the entire movie by an mm. utter incompetent, like Chris Pine, dear God. It's, it's part of this, this greater tendency to cast this doofy idiot as your lovable hero, as a way of keeping, oh, we're keeping it light, we're keeping it light, but there's no, there's no chemistry, there's no sense of gravity to the character's presence. I don't feel anything important is really learned because they're sort of a non-character. Um, and this ultimate fear, again, for a serious female character that isn't somehow downplayed by uh, someone that tells her to lighten up. I guess I, I felt nothing for Chris Pine's presence other than the opportunity to make a not so subtle joke about his dick and um, remind everyone that men have penises and women have vaginas and that makes them different. Yeah. And um, I felt like he was useless. I don't know. I felt like most of her side characters and supporting characters were forgettable and it wasn't even in that classical sense of how so many people portray Sherlock Holmes as super brilliant, and they do so by making Watson stupid. Oh. You know, that same kind of feeling of if your character is really this thing, they will stand up to being that thing when you have other characters around them that are also exceptional and also interesting. And I, I, feel, I feel like I wasn't really motivated to her struggle i wasn't really convinced hmm. i guess i I, don't know. I i can read i can read you there but i think there's a bit of a there's always this bit of suspension of disbelief for which for me is wearing quite thin just about superhero movies in general because the for any title character in a superhero movie there is literally zero personal danger yeah. With the exception of something like Logan, let's wax Logan a little bit. Yeah, little we love longer. Logan. Yeah, um, same like, here. <laughs> there's no, there is, there's never a personal danger to Batman in a Batman movie. Um, maybe some tense shit is going to end up happening, but it's you're not the character of Bruce Wayne is not going to die, or the character of of Clark Kent is not going to die, no matter what Zack Snyder tells us. Superman is not dead. He's, he's just yeah, he's taking a nap. He's mm. just taking a long dirt nap. Um and so in that sense like do you there might be jeopardy involved with Chris Pine and his sort of dirty dozen like the guys that he that take along with him. Um but in that sense like I can't my I can't allow my emotions and my expectations to rise to a certain level of caring about characters yes. because they're superheroes which is just endemic to the medium to the genre essentially. So in that respect it's very difficult to get a to create an empathy with a character when there is just no danger for well, them. Well, does that part and parcel with the fact that they tell us ahead of time that there's, this character is also going to appear in three, oh, yeah. of three more yeah. movies? Of course. The, and you know, that's, that's the problem with superheroes right now as a whole, is that there's no sense of dramatic tension. It's not enough to be an action movie. You know, it, it's it's not it doesn't have enough action to be an action movie because we want to wax philosophical or emotional about ideals and things like that, but not really commit to exploring them because you still have to eat that popcorn, right? Mm -hmm. And you still have to sell the next movie, but you need those other side characters as cannon fodder, so that we have the plot motivation for them to become the great thing. You know, Uncle yeah. Ben must be shot is is something yeah, yeah. I always think about, but. But you know, even as bad as some of those Spider movie or Spider Man movies got, Uncle Ben being shot still somehow means something to me. Mm -hmm. It still makes me actually care. Even though I've heard the Spider Man story a million and a half times, you can still manage to make me care that moment that Uncle Ben gets shot. 
So what I'm asking more so is as a comic book fan, as a person that is a woman interested in having these characters be represented in film, and also as a film fan, at what point can I expect an entertaining movie? Or is this a is this a triangle where you pick two sides? Either yeah. I get my comic book yeah. stuff and I get a fun, exciting movie and I don't get some ideals or idealism that would be meaningful to me personally. Or do I get a good movie with good idealism and not much accuracy? Or, you know, which which sides of the triangle do I get, I guess, is the question I kept asking to, myself watching this movie. You have to choose two, but not three. Yeah, that's, exactly. an interesting, that's, that's a very interesting way to put it. Have we gotten to the point where, I don't know, that's the other thing, too, is that by the time we get to Wonder Woman, it's kind of weird that we live in a world where she's one of the most recognizable superheroes, even to people who don't give a crap about comic books, Mm -hmm. that there's a handful of superheroes before 2008 that everyone would, would recognize. And she was on that list, despite the fact that she hadn't been in live action or cartoons since linda carter or the super friends 70s or so yeah Yeah, i mean that's pretty crazy to have that kind of purchase in pop culture awareness but not be represented the same way that every three years as a goddamn batman movie i i guess uh, this is another one of those cases where the the animated dcu is extremely formative to me as a comic Mm -hmm. fan Mm -hmm. because i was growing up at that age right about when i had justice league on regularly in the evenings where I would run home after school to watch Batman Superman Adventures, where I would sit there on Sunday mornings and draw pictures of, uh, what is it, Bruce Tim Batman mm, sort of things in the nice. corner of my sermon notes because I knew I could go home and watch my tapes. That's awesome. You know, or, or that these characters came in my Happy Meal kind of thing. So I feel like to some degree I have to admit to where I measure every bit of the DCU against my childhood cartoons. At that point, I did have Wonder Woman. Even if she didn't have her own title, I had Justice League. I had a sense of who she was. I had a a sense of how she related to the other characters. And for once, she wasn't just the Pink Ranger. Mm -hmm. Because to me, I grew up. And she meant something. She was allowed to take stands. She was allowed to go toe to toe and, you know, look at Bruce and be like, stuff it, asshole. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in those words so much because it was a children's cartoon. But there were definitely cases where she could hold her own. She could argue. She could make her own points. She could be a butthead like any of the others. She could be a complicated character. And she didn't just have to show up in a swimsuit. But I did still somehow get both. I got the camp, I got the fun, I got the iconic image, and I got an exciting character. I always also kind of wonder, is it possible to go too far in the other direction? And I think I've kind of encountered this a little bit with Black Widow in Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh. Yeah, I know we've both talked about that before, Um, not on the air, but it was the anger that came out at the storyline that Black Widow got, and it seemed to kind of, it seemed really misplaced to me Mm -hmm. um, that people thought that, because the big part of the plot in Avengers Age of Ultron is that um, it's revealed that part of um, Natasha's training to be Black Widow, she's basically turned into a living weapon. She had the things stripped away from her that would let her live a normal life. And one of them was that she wouldn't be able to have children. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of positioned herself as an aunt to Hawkeye's kids mm-hmm. and that she's a regular visitor there. And she kind of struggles with that. And the big arc for her and Hulk kind of at the same time is that question of, am I inherently a monster? Am I? It's the Wolverine question. And yeah. She's the Wolverine of that team. Um, am I a monster or am I a hero? And can I choose? And the Hulk ultimately chooses that I can't be this thing. I can't control myself. And she says, no, I get to choose what I am. That I might not be able to be a quote-unquote normal person with a regular life. That that choice is taken away from me, but I can choose that I don't have to be some monstrous killer. And a lot of that, the idea of uh, that I got a lot of anger from from some feminist circles on the internet um, that were I saw directed at that saying, oh, well, her value as a woman would be defined by her ability to have children. And I guess I can kind of get that, but I also realized that if you had given her any of the plot lines of other male characters in the movie, excuse me, in the movie, 
that it would have been just as problematic. Yeah, um, I remember discussing this. That's right. That if she'd been Hawkeye, if, if Black Widow had Hawkeye's storyline, it was all about how he was torn between being a dad and a regular person and being a hero. And ultimately, he decides to go home and be a parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, I don't want to be part of this life. It's not safe. I should be there for my kids. That Hulk's decision, Hulk's whole storyline was built around uh, that I can't control my emotions. Mm-hmm. And God, <laughs> could you imagine? Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially Jesus. if she's a spy, that wouldn't work at all. No, Honestly, be... she couldn't have been a spy in, a, in the first place. This, but, is, yeah. this is why Hulk doesn't go undercover. Yeah. <laughs> Put a little hat on him and a, a Ninja Turtles trench coat. There you go. Um, <laughs> then you had Captain America, who was mostly just... I don't know, scolding people for using bad language throughout the movie. So maternal. So maternal being kind Mm -hmm. of a wet blanket. Uh, Tony Stark was the one who wouldn't listen to anybody and who made a huge mistake that threatened the world. Because women are incompetent. And uh, (laughs) and then Thor just kind of stood there and didn't get anything to do. And if that had been Black Widow, that would have been a problem. And I wonder, um, you can put so much pressure on that character to be a perfect representation that they're not allowed to have flaws or personality quirks. Right, human experiences, you know. You could take Walter White and make Walter White a woman Yeah. in Breaking Bad. And why should dudes get all the conflicted, crazy characters that do awful, interesting stuff? Mm-hmm. Why, why is the only positive personality trait that a female character be is kick-ass, which isn't actually a personality trait. Yeah. Because every male character is kick-ass by default. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also get to be interesting stuff. It's like, it's like this is always that question is describe Jean Grey's personality. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. Like, I can go through all of the five original X-Men, which I have a lot of affection for, and I could tell you who what they're like except for Jean, because Jean is the girl. Mm-hmm. And... Is that is that the alternative that you just get to be kick ass stuff and that you get to stick it up to people and yeah and girl power stuff, but is there personality beyond that? And that's and that's my question that I would pose to this movie is if you're if you're spending time establishing the ethics of her culture, which I, I actually would have had more fun on that island a little bit longer, but there are many reasons for that, I can admit to. Um, <laughs> no judgments. To, you know, being realistic, honestly. Um, if you spend time establishing her culture and you don't really do much with it other than have her get in, like, shouty, like, pouty-lipped arguments with some rando that she that washed up on her beach... Um, and she she learned oh so much from him and oh so much from humanity and war and all of this. I I just don't know how much of her actual character came out in that movie that was in any way consistent with what characterization they did, other than you know protesting the you know protesting too much every now and again, just like ah you know this this can't be the only way people can't be like this. All evidence shows to the contrary, but I'm just going to be. You know, obstinately obsessive in my ideal about this thing, but yet again, it's it, she. She was an idealist who had no interest in evidence for seeking out what she believed to be the cause of these conflicts. Go find Aries and stuff like that. She didn't really have any specific reason. I don't recall to believe that the person she was looking for was Aries. Yeah, it's funny be- you say that because I'm recalling and I don't I don't do not have the deep encyclopedic knowledge of comic book characters and their deep deep backstories, but I recall having the same complaint with another wise movie that I actually really enjoy which was the second Captain America what's it called? Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier movie mm-hmm. where uh, he basically Captain America, who is a paragon, and we want these characters to. Wonder Woman is trying to be the paragon, right? Yes. Um, who otherwise is a paragon decides that he he decides that even though he sees evidence of strong evidence of the fact that Bucky, uh, his friend Bucky, who was for decades a programmed assassin and was bodily at least bodily responsible for murdering lots of people for bad for bad guys, um can't be bad in this instance so i've got to find him to prove that he's right 
he and uh, Captain America ends up being right, but for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. right? Because he was framed. But Captain America couldn't have known that. So his idea that he's going to put putting faith in the fact that he needs to be taken away and he needs to find a way to exonerate him is just he happens to be right for the wrong reasons. I feel like you could claim the same thing for yeah. for Wonder Woman, which is like you give them a you can give them a certainty of of purpose, but you. It, it you might lose the your consistency of your character's virtue if they just happen to be right for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and and we're we're going through this movie. We're doing this, and I'm I'm glad that you brought up Captain America too because I couldn't help but draw comparisons to the Captain America film in watching this. You you know you said well I think it's a good thing they didn't do World War Two, and mentally I was chuckling. Well, of course they couldn't do it because that would be admitting you copied off of someone else's paper. <laughs> the, you know, in in our mi- like mishmash of what we're trying to make this movie into i feel like there definitely was an attempt to pull the the sensibility of the captain america movie in certain key parts of wonder woman Mm. whether or not they sold it is also debatable i think one of the only really affecting scenes for me is her pushing through that blockade basically Mm -hmm. because after she sees the people that you know that are are suffering here because because of this military or militarized zone where they've been there what a year i my history in world war one is admittedly very 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 weak um so i i can't even remember in the movie where it was i'll admit that um well there was the no man's land scene yes thank you we've been here for one year and we've we haven't moved an inch basically and she goes, yeah. okay, well then I'm going to, I'm going to force a change in this thing. And again, the, the predominant fight choreography for this is the shield. Yep. That's mm. one thing I think they did right for sure about showing who this character was, that the big hero making moment that the, you know, scream and fight the bad guy moment was done by shield mm-hmm. rather than by sword. That if they had taken the sensibility they had in that, what, five, ten minutes and applied that across the board a little bit better, that this idea of I'm going to deflect, I'm going to defend, I'm going to inspire awe, I'm going to use use the image of my own power to empower others, then I feel like a lot of the people giving this a good rating would have cause to call it a so-called feminist movie. I don't know that they really sell it for me as a feminist movie as a as a whole. But they did have a few of those special, inspiring texture girlfriend sort of moments, I guess, that uh that that did give that childhood me some of what I was hoping for. So I I, I don't think the whole thing is a steaming pile or anything per se. I just feel like it more fell under the grounds of dis disappointingly average. I guess, or or could have just it could have had a dude in the role, and there would be no difference. I can see that. Me, you yeah, know? I think it, I, yeah. Other um, than the so-called cute postmodern quips that we all keep doing in superhero movies of "Hey, sexual tension is bad jokes." And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> For me, it's a reason to leave. <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, I I actually do like the movie. Like I said, I like it, but don't love it. And I think for me, it. Maybe this is my low expectations, not coming at this from a feminism issue, but coming at this from a fan of DC Comics. And also, um, like mentioning before, things that you never get sick of. Tropes that it doesn't matter how many times it's done. Like you mentioned, you know, the the broken man that finds a reason to fight again. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, a lot of it is, you know, the the Boy Scouty, you know, I, you know, the altruism as the motivation, the anti-bully. Somebody who's powerful, who's not a piece of shit and isn't snarky, not driven by um, trauma, not driven by daddy issues, but it's just like there's something wrong over there and I feel compelled to do something about it. That part really got me because Mm -hmm. even in a world of superhero movies, we don't see a lot of superheroes interacting with regular people Mm -hmm. at all. We don't see a lot of rescues and just having Diana be somebody who sees somebody who's just something as simple as my cart is stuck in the mud. And she's like, I can do something about that. Or yeah. someone looks like they're in pain. I should do something about that. Where if you look at uh, Dawn of Justice, Superman looks so fucking miserable being Superman. He's not Superman in that movie. That's the problem is they, they don't again, they don't carry the characterization to its logical end. 
Yeah, he's because like, it ruins their ability to have the punchy, punchy premise that they were hoping would sell tickets. Because oh, it, oh, I hate that movie so. Nobody much. wants to see somebody <laughs> as nice as Superman get his I, ass handed to him. I think it's totally clear from anyone who's listened to our podcast for longer than two episodes that uh, <laughs> we don't like. We do not like Todd of Justice. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like you know, Superman, uh, you know. Pulling that that ship through the ice, he mm-hmm. looks so miserable. It looks like Dante Hicks. He's not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, and like people reaching up, and it's like, you know, you know, it, everything he does undermines people wanting to to need help him for help. But like, just go on fucking you know cable news. They will book an interview with Superman. How about you fucking defend yourself? But it's like, I don't care. I hate doing this. <laughs> and it's like Wonder Woman would go on there, and it's like that part of it where she's just like, yeah, she wants to have an argument with some asshole on on CNN. She would do it to fucking defend yourself. You know, act like you care. Actually worry about whether people are scared when you show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I'm oh. gonna, Neil deGrasse Tyson loses points in my book for agreeing to be in that movie. Oh, God. As, I, there's like four people that appear as themselves in movies, and it's it seems like... Um, it used to be Larry King forever. It Larry, was Larry King yeah. was the guy. Jay Leno, of course, would always do... It would do a part of the monologue. Oh, monologue about yeah. that. And nowadays, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Anderson Cooper has been showing up a lot. Hey, Coops. And uh, <laughs> weirdly enough, Nancy Grace will show up oh, in movies yes. as herself. <laughs> it's like, well, this movie just got even more depressing. You know, drive someone else to suicide, Nancy Grace. I guess we should oh, all be God. thankful that Tucker Carlson didn't throw his hat in on. Oh uh, God! Yes. But yeah. Oh, um, also, what's his name? The the guy on PBS who has a completely black Charlie Rose. Yes, Charlie, Charlie Rose. Rose. Like, oh, that's yeah. right. He's like in. He's always filming. He in was a in Breaking void. Bad. He was mm-hmm. in Breaking Bad. Yeah, he was in Breaking yeah. Bad. Yeah. He was in Dawn of Justice. He shows up to play himself all the time and stuff. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just. I don't know. I I like the that part of it. Maybe the movie is average compared to a lot of other superhero movies, and maybe it's because I just want to see a DC hero who doesn't hate being a DC hero. Yeah. On on one hand, my expectations for DC movies have risen, so I want that clear. Is that it? Definitely was a clear step up to me from what they had been making for quite a while. Um. But my expectations for an icon on film weren't really up to par. Mm. We'll put it that way. It's especially one that you feel like you sort of like counted on, I guess. I, I, I just think everyone should watch, everyone who's, who has seen this and is interested is should just watch Sally's other great movie, which is Monster, which is not a feminist screed for liberation, but it is, but it is a very, very good movie about women monster <laughs> is fucking awesome yeah it's, i am a huge fan of monster. it's disturbing it's incredibly disturbing was that the first but, movie that that let Charlize theron be an actress yeah it was yeah. Charlize and christina ricci yeah. yeah and it's just it's, it's a fantastic great. movie um and also spurred months of reading about eileen wernos so my part <laughs> yeah it's just such a great movie and uses crimson or crimson and clover in a roller rink Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can't hear that song without thinking of murderous lesbians making out outside of a roller rink if it comes on the radio. And I'm just like, hmm, this is a part of my life now. It's kind of Great a very movie, specific though. Pavlovian connection. It is, actually. I, I, I literally just see Christina Ricci. You know, it's strange. <laughs> but no, but it is, in all seriousness, it is a very good movie that just so talks about and allows the complicated story of a woman's life to come out. Yeah. Isn't that what we what we would want? I don't know. Yeah. It's like that we always have that that dance because on one end a character like Wonder Woman is a paragon mm-hmm. that I don't want Steve Rogers to be flawed. I mean, that was one of the things that I I go back and forth and I've done my time yelling at people who just don't get it. it's like you know Steve Rogers is not really a Nazi. You know he's going to turn back and it's mm-hmm. always leading towards him reasserting himself and having the big fuck yeah moment of yeah take this Hitler and punching the red skull in the fucking face that's how we know it's going to end with him being the Steve Rogers we want but at the same time the fact that people got so mad people who aren't hardcore comic book fans got so mad because they were emotionally invested in Steve Rogers mm-hmm. and that's a fucking win yeah and and what's uh, going back to that triangle concept that's a that's a really good example is that I I don't necessarily need 
my social image of something, of an icon or of something like that, to always uphold my personal values, to be a good character. I don't need my movies to always reinforce my social beliefs for them to be good movies. Mm-hmm. Most of my favorite characters in comic or comic cinema, cartoons, anything, you name it, in books, are bad people. Mm. And the reason for this is because they're, it's something of its own. It's allowed to tell me a story of a person and allows me to connect to a character. And I, I feel like more meaning for me comes out of a piece of media if that person in particular has some serious problems, but I still relate to them somehow. It's kind of the, the Walter White thing. Yeah. Uh, Walter White is a terrible person, mm-hmm. and, but he's a great character. That I don't always want to watch something. That's what I love about crime fiction, period, is the lead character is almost always a bad person. Mm-hmm. But you give yourself license to follow them along because you know that likely they're going to get what's coming to them at the end. Mm-hmm. So you can go along with them murdering somebody or poisoning someone or doing something horrible to avoid facing responsibility for a crime. And... um it it seems kind of weird that I've I've gotten that kind of pushback that we want more strong female characters, but they I it's like the strong part is not the I'm strong and I'm badass and I'm perfect, but it's the character part. Is the character strong? Pepper Potts. Pepper yeah. Potts is a to me a stronger, better written character than Wonder Woman was in that movie. Hmm. Pepper Potts wow. showing up as a side character character means more to me. In in a cinematic sense than Wonder Woman did. You know, it's even Black Widow for some of the flaws in that one storyline it could take or leave in Age of Ultron. Um, she's more interesting to me because she's allowed to be difficult. She's allowed to have a bad attitude. She's allowed to be good and competent at her job, but also kind of interested in whether or not she fits with other people and struggling with that. It's possible. It's definitely possible to make to make female characters nuanced or problematic and to make the movie more interesting as a result. I would rather have a more interesting movie or a more exciting movie or a more meaningful movie than a movie that just reinforces the beliefs that I want other people to believe. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Facebook is for. That's why you yell at your friends. Is that you, you try to force your beliefs on others in real life. I, I In my media, I would rather have people disagree with me or live complicated lives and be entertaining. I, I know that media holds hands with social issues and you can't you can't separate them apart. It's kind of a cat's cradle. And I I see where that's useful on some ends. But sometimes I really just want to see a good movie, a fun movie. So I I saw that you were on on Facebook and you had talked a bit about how you felt about Wonder Woman. What kind of reaction did you get to that? It's it's been an interesting one. I I've had everything as far as a person sending me a private message um telling me the socially corrective things I should be doing um by removing my opinion about those things, about the things that are at stake as if I didn't know things that are at stake if i if i don't you know support this thing as a wonderful thing if i don't crow from the highest mountaintops to people sending me private messages going like fuck yeah buddy i'm really sick of this shit and i'm like yeah okay you know and and again from women and men i i have a very close friend back in california who is getting into comics these days and we've um we've been friends for 20 years and so she's getting back in the saddle of these things and always asking me what to read, what to watch, what to get into. And one of the things she said is that it, to be a comic fan, do I have to watch these god-awful movies? <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry, they're two and a half hours long. They're boring as shit. I'd rather read the book. There you go. That's your answer. And that's yeah. my thing is that comic book movies are not made for comic book fans. They're made to sell tickets. They're made... That Like every movie, you hope to sell tickets. Comic book fans have this misguided belief that comic book movies are solely for them. Oh, God, no. There aren't enough not. of them. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny is that they still hold on to this belief that these 
these massive media cash cows are there to keep them happy. And I think that a lot of the time managing my own expectation has to go through this filter of these movies aren't made for comic fans. They're made for yeah, everyone. They're made for the normies. I, yeah. I, have, I mean, uh, to, as a way to interject, but also to, that buttresses along well with this is um, I am I have since got the same idea about Star Trek, which yeah. is. Unfortunately, Star Trek is 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 a property of which uh, is similar to that, where there are hardcore fans um, that have been sticking around for decades, and then there there is churning out these movies that are there. And of course, now we're 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 imminent seeing a return uh, to television, which is really the medium for which Star Trek is supposed to be from. And uh, um, I have to, I've had to dispel the notion that Star Trek exists to placate what I think is good about Star Trek because it's clear that it will never happen. Yeah. And I and I mm-hmm. and I may be wrong. I mean of course we've just I'm I'm judging a lot by a by a trailer. Um but I think I can read the tea leaves on the wall when when Brian Fuller who is a writer and show creator who I think has Hannibal. done and is doing some good shit who has who has who has a who has an eye and an ear and a and a voice for telling good stories backs out and who comes in to fill the gap none other than batman and robbins akiva goldsmith (laughs) is the lead is the lead like this and lots of other i mean it's it's alex kurtzman who's the executive producer who he just directed the mummy folks god that was fantastic there's a lot there's a lot of evidence that's pointing towards this but I'm I'm not going to get what I want out of it. Yeah. So maybe I should make the assumption that comic book fans should be, which is that you cannot live and die by the fact that you're hoping that these that these sort of these representations of the characters that you love from other things is going to be fit perfectly in the way you you want it to be, and you certainly can't. You certainly don't believe that you're owed it because I'm not owed having another another captain and another crew as awesome as Picard and and the Enterprise D. I'm not owed it at all. This, they don't Paramount doesn't owe me anything. So it should stop behaving on social media and in real life as if that's the case. We're, I think yeah, we're in franchise no man's land. Yeah, at this point is that that everything is driven by this franchise this franchise mindset and. As such, everything is fair game. If it has a fandom, there will be a, re- a reboot. If it has a fandom, there will be a movie. You know, if it has a fandom, we're gonna cast the new hot dudes to redo Twenty One Jump Street for fuck's sake. Let's get a Hemsworth in there. Yeah, you <laughs> know, pretty interchangeable. Pick a Hemsworth, and, any Hemsworth, and that's where we are. Is that I think the most the most in franchise land that I can come to hope for is to have fun. Mm-hmm. That I'm trying to manage my expectations that if it's a franchise, my my social beliefs don't necessarily have to play into it. My um, my my sense of canon, things like that, that I honest to God try to go into most of these movies now going, am I going to be able to eat my popcorn and enjoy the next two and a half hours or am I going to be waiting for this to be over? And I don't know. I, I just... Um, I think I've reached a point where uh, I, I think there is there is too much of this expectation of paragons of virtue in all of our media that that comes from a, a misunderstanding of what we're here for. That maybe we really are here to watch a popcorn movie. Maybe we're here because they know we'll show up because we know the thing and it's familiar and the bell has been rung and we're meant to drool. Yeah, Maybe it doesn't matter at all. I, I still, I still think there's room. If, if there's something to to root for and hope for, I still think that there is license for us to hope for a novelty, because you can still find shit that is novel and is satisfying. Um, unfortunately, it seems less and less like the the very large things want to do things that are novel. They want to do things that are nostalgic, and so there's that constant tug between the two, you know. But I still think there's hope for novelty because there's novelty all over the place. I thought. When Mike and I saw the Mad Max Fury Road together, I was like, holy shit, this does both of those things very well together in a very satisfying way. Novelty and nostalgia at the same time. 
And I hold my popcorn aloft when I watch that movie. That's, you know, in all fairness, I'm I'm watching something thrilling. I I told a friend I actually just rewatched the chrome black and white screening that we did down in Olympia. So, uh, again, I definitely go to a theater to enjoy a movie. Sometimes even if I own that movie, I'll go pay you again (laughs) sort of thing. So I'm not immune. Um, You know, essentially they took all the color out and they left a couple of different, like scenes they had cut not not even enough to really be meaty like a meaty kind of difference but i had a friend laugh and remark like it's impossible to see you sit still during a movie i almost always knit or eat or wiggle around in my chair and it's not from lack of interest it's just difficulty doing one task and she laughed and she said I started counting in my head how long you held that piece of popcorn <laughs> as you just held it aloft watching the screen. And it, and it's the part with the polecats and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that I've seen this movie in the dozens at this point. Wow. So you can make a very exciting movie that does touch on those issues. It can be done. And in fact, you're right. It can be done with a franchise. Yep. But can I expect that sort no. of a success every nope. time? Nope. Sadly, no. Dial it back. No, not when you're dealing. I, we we talk about this many times before, but the idea of when that kind of money is involved, the odds of being surprised go way down mm-hmm. because they're going to try to make people happy. And uh, the things that give a movie identity and the things that surprise you are going to be things that make some people unhappy and they don't want to make people unhappy. Um, that was one of the things with like we. We've talked a lot about the movie The Mist. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love about that movie the most is it's willing to go there at the end. That, also, that also has a black too. and white edition, too. The Mist has an alternate really? cut of the movie that was for black and white. Yes. I was telling Kaylee she needed to watch it with me. I meant to dig into that. It's so good. It's yeah. a really good movie. Yeah. yeah it's. I want, I want more things where the experience, and I know that Casey and I talk about this all the time, but when going to the movie John Wick for the first time, with no trailers, no knowledge of anything, that I just know Keanu Reeves with a gun on the poster, mm-hmm. and not knowing what the movie is and watching it unfold in front of me is just a great experience. I'm being surprised and thrilled by stuff. And even in the sequel, the sequel has moments that are just so wonderfully creative and fun. The battle between uh, uh, Keanu and Common in Rome <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is so much fun, especially where they're like, pew, 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 like shooting silenced guns at each other over that crowd. And it's, I want those kind of moments where I just go in and I don't know what I'm going to get out of this movie. Surprise is hard to achieve in franchise land. You know, it's as far as like, of course, you, you'll get it out of something like John Wick, which is new, you know, new and fresh to you and stuff. I I think it can can be done like you were saying with Fury Road, um, but I I feel like sometimes with film we've lost the sense that the priority is to get lost in it. Mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. and that because franchise or franchising has become such or such a huge part of film these days, you lose surprise and you lose novelty, and you have people that expect franchises to be clones of their original source material so on one hand we have to manage the expectation that why are you going to see a movie if you can just look at the exact same thing at home expect a little bit of change i I think that's a really fair point though about expecting novelty that it shouldn't be so surprising is my point i guess it shouldn't be so shocking that a movie about something you're familiar with can surprise you that should be the standard. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I, I, I wonder, though, if this is the consequences of us winning. The nerds. The nerds. Yeah. yeah. That we used to have to be a lot pickier about the stuff we get because not everything was made for us. So that when something was made with sort of a sci-fi fantasy horror superhero vibe to it, it was rare and they knew that it was sort of a specialty product. Niche, so yeah. yeah, it was totally niche. And because of that, it was allowed to have much more of an identity. And now that we won some unfought cultural battle, it's like this is one of the things they talk about in Demolition Man. Mm-hmm. At some point, <laughs> yeah. the nerds won the franchise wars. That's right. <laughs> and, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Yeah, <laughs> Everything's the same. Now that everybody likes Captain America, um, it feels like 
Fuck it, I'm out. Now that everyone likes it, I hate it. I don't yeah. want to be a hipster. Yeah. I really don't. Fuck you. I like Captain America before he was mainstream. That's I right. love that people get my Gollum references now, but at the same time, <laughs> I just like I have to find I have to fight that much harder to find something that isn't doing everything that people wanted to do. <laughs> oh, holy shit! Mm-hmm. I have to stop you in the in the last week's episode of 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 Better Call Saul. Howard Hamlin accuses Jimmy Slippin' Jimmy of being Gollum. Yes. <laughs> that would have never happened ten years ago. And it wouldn't and if somebody made a Gollum reference, it wouldn't have been Howard Hamlin. I think there was some I was trying to remember what I was watching where somebody referred to somebody's subterfuge, like social subterfuge as worm tongue in it. Yes. Oh, and I laughed nice. so damn hard. Nice. And and so, you know, there are those consequences that you describe, but there are those sweet ass nuggets that yeah. you get every yeah. now and again, turning well, on they, network or regular T V and it's like, Holy shit, you do. But they have to be good. It. They can't be they can't be sort of the Gilmore girls style thing where it's like rapid fire, like the writers <sighs> yeah. are just sort of they're sort of having a competition for how how like extremely obscure the references can be and how many of them they can fit in a character dialogue in like 15 seconds. Oh my God. Yeah, it's that's, very difficult that's to tiresome. take. It's very difficult. I, I feel take. the gravity well of the big bang theory conversation. In the <laughs> no. distance. Yeah, I, no! I, I wasn't going to say it, but I, I, I think I think of it as I'd like early Kevin Smith sensibilities combined with Dan Harmon. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. where I want to go sure. is I want Harmon's humanity and Smith's, organic vulgarity yeah that's what Mm. i'm good with it's the way people i know actually talk yeah so not like tarantino (laughs) yeah yeah as much as i have fun at his movies his dialogue is very difficult yeah (laughs) no i mean i just don't want don't want to expect people in real life talking as if they're in a tarantino movie are you sure you're not okay with me going into a 10 minute diatribe about what superman means that may or may not be accurate which is actually not accurate (laughs) yeah there you go it's like I, I like that, but you're totally wrong, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally so fucking real. wrong. Oh Bill, you don't have an excuse. This isn't new stuff, you know. Yeah. Radio versus the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at radioversusthemartians.com and send us your feedback at info at radioversusthemartians.com.